Well, if you'll stand with me this morning, we're going to read Romans chapter 8. If you weren't encouraged last week, then I feel like you won't be encouraged this week, because <laughs> this is a really good message too, but if we don't get excited about a God who keeps promises, we won't get excited about a God who has saved us. So, Romans 8, 1 through 4. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Lord, we just pray this morning that we would see the significance of what you've done on the cross for us, the freedom we have from the power of sin. Father, that we can walk by your Spirit and overcome the enemy. So I just pray this morning that we would be encouraged individually and encouraged as a body to live out what we say we believe every day. We thank you for your faithfulness, Lord, and your work in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So oftentimes we read this, these verses, and it's real easy, I think, maybe I'm just a rare person, but it's easy to read over these verses and kind of think, yeah, that's true, right? But... I want to say to go. Want you to go with me this morning to uh, the sound of the town of Salem, Massachusetts. The years nineteen or not nineteen, sixteen ninety two. There was a woman there named Elizabeth Proctor. Now, anybody that knows about Salem knows about the witch trials. It's why Salem is famous, and probably it's it's kind of strange why it's the most famous place because there were entire towns in Germany that thousands of people were killed in witch trials. But for some reason, Salem sticks with us today. But anyways, there was a woman named Elizabeth Proctor, and she was tried on April 11th, uh, 19, or <laughs> 1692. And the interesting thing with her is she was tried, and then finally, so she was put in jail, and it took until August to actually get her convicted with her husband. They were both convicted. But she had something that gave her life, and that was she was pregnant. And so in those days, the women would plead what they would say, they would plead their belly. So if they were pregnant, they couldn't be executed till they had the baby. Unfortunately, her husband could not, and he was actually executed in August, uh, 1692. Um, so she gave birth to a son, January 27th, 19, huh, why do I keep saying 19? Maybe because I wrote it down wrong. <laughs> 1693, I, I swapped the numbers. And so you would think, here, she's been in prison this whole time, almost a full year, and nothing has happened. She's living, but by historians' uh, account and, and research, we know that these places were filthy, dirt floors, 
But she had this baby in a prison cell, likely with no help. I mean, talk about terrible conditions. But after she had that baby, you can imagine, every day she was expecting someone to come in and say, it's to the gallows with you. But they never came. They never came. And eventually, on May 1693, she was released from prison because the government of Massachusetts and the people of Massachusetts realized that what was going on was not witch trials, but it was a witch hunt. We were looking for witches who did not exist and that they were using evidence that was completely made up. And so... She was set free. The condemnation that she had been under that whole time never came to be executed on her. So can you imagine the day that they came to her jail cell? She's been in prison every day looking at her child who likely looked like her husband, thinking about what had happened to her husband, the fact that her husband would never meet their son on this side. The fact that her child would be without a mother soon. All those emotions rolling together. And then one day somebody says, you're free. You don't have to. You're not going to be killed. You're no longer under condemnation. And that's the point I believe that Paul is making. And that's why the title of today's message is Under Condemnation No More. Under Condemnation No More. And we see in verse 1 a clear call, a clear statement. And I have titled this point, Punishment Abolished. If you read verse 1, it says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why is the therefore? If you look back, I believe he's talking about verse 24 and verse 25 of chapter 7, where it says, Wretched man that I am. This is a cry of a, a sinful man who cannot overcome sin. He is under the power of sin. Who shall set me free from the body of this death? I can just imagine... Elizabeth Proctor in the cell, screaming these words. Who's going to set me free from these thoughts and these emotions, these, this state that I'm in, and, and my poor child? And the Apostle Paul replies, Thanks be to God through Christ Jesus, or Jesus Christ our Lord. He's given us a clue of what hope is. Who gives us power? And then he says, So then, on the other hand, I my, on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other, with my flesh, the law of sin. So, we don't see his full deliverance here in verse 25. He, he's stating the fact that he's going to be set free. I think that's the clue at the verse part of verse 25. It's in verse 1 of chapter 8 that we see a proclamation of freedom, a proclamation of victory over sin and its power. So that's why the therefore is there. It's saying, since this, since we can't do this, 
It's only in Christ Jesus. I think this is super, extremely important because we see at the end of verse two, 1 and 2, it says, in Christ Jesus, both cases. It is not by any other way. So, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That word condemnation can also be translated punishment. It's the same word for punishment for a crime committed. So, there is now no punishment for the crimes that you committed. Why? Is it because you did something to earn your salvation? No. The punishment of being under the power of sin is no more because Christ Jesus. Because you're in Him. Remember when we talked in chapter 5 and chapter 6 about our union with Christ? How we must be unified with Him to have power over sin? Remember when we were talking about the marriage example, analogy that the Apostle Paul used in, in chapter 5, the first half? That's, that's why it's so important. If we are not in Christ, what's the truth then? We are under condemnation. The punishment of sin is still out there for us. So, if we aren't condemned anymore, how is that possible? How is that possible? That's the question... When I read verse 1, I'm thinking, how? Well, Paul starts to answer that in verse 2 and 3, but specifically he starts in verse 2, and, and I put verse 2 under the, the point lawful liberation. He says, for the law, so again, remember when I say for, he's talking about how we're not under condemnation. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. We see two laws at, at war and one is winning. But again, it's only in Christ Jesus. It's not in us. It's not in the world. It's not in anything else. It's not in Muhammad or Gandhi or any of these men who have lived it is in Christ Jesus. He is the only way that we will be set free. And this law is the law of the Spirit of life. This is the, the Spirit always brings life. I, I, I ran across this last night just thinking, and I just looked up the Spirit and life together. And in Genesis 6.3, it's interesting that... In Genesis 6-3, God says, at that point, He's saying, men are living too long. And so, in Genesis 6-3, He says, I will take My Spirit from them so that their years will end at 120. My Spirit of life will be taken. So, and remember when God breathed life? The same word, it's, it's the same Hebrew word for spirit. So, in a sense, we're given life through the Spirit physically and spiritually. And so, I just see here that the Spirit always gives life. When the Spirit is taken, there's no more life. That's why you see churches that are coming together, 
and dead because there's no spirit in them. The spirit is not there. But if the spirit is with us, we will experience life, freedom from the power of sin. That's what Jesus has come to do. And when Christ came, he promised the spirit to us. But the law of sin, the law of sin that he's talked about from verse 12, really most of chapter 7, always brings death. And I don't believe he's talking about God's law. He's talking about the law that sin brings death. Remember, the wages of sin is death. That's a law. That is a statement of law. And so... We're seeing the contrast. When the Spirit comes, guess what? Life comes. When sin comes, death comes. That's what we're seeing, a contrast here. And if you, if you look back at Romans 7, 6, it says, But now we have been released from the law. Again, this, he's talking here, I believe, specifically of God's law. Having died to that which we were bound so that we serve in the newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. And then he goes on to say, What shall we say then? Is the law sin? May it never be. So we can't put the two together. The law of sin is not speaking of God's law. It's talking about that law within our members that we see in the struggle of pre-conversion Paul. That, That struggle that we all dealt with if we're believers today. And if you're not a believer, then obviously you're still fighting that struggle. You're trying to serve God, but you're unable to because spiritually speaking, you're dead. You do not have His Spirit with you. So, the law of the Spirit liberates us. It sets us free from the law of sin and death. And that to me is great news. I I was thinking about this and I I considered first Corinthians second Corinthians, if you'll go there with me. Second Corinthians chapter three. Verse four to eleven. It says Such confidence we have through Christ toward God. So our confidence comes in Christ towards God. We we don't have confidence outside of that. Not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. Who also being made who also made us adequate as servants of a new covenant, not of the letter. What's, what's he saying when he says not of the letter? God's law. That's what he's talking about. God's law. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. The Spirit is the life giver. But if the ministry of death and letters engraved on stones came with glory, so that the sons of Israel could not look intently at the face of Moses because of the glory of his face fading as it was, How would the ministry of the Spirit fail to be even more with glory? 
This to me is... Right? They could not even look at Moses' face. He had to put a veil on his face because the glory of God had so enveloped him and, and just being in the presence of God for Moses was so magnificent that when he came down from the mountain, he was glowing. Now, most people would have said today, he must have been with aliens or, you know, something. Maybe he got some strange something going on. But, so he's saying, Paul is saying, if it was so glorious with Moses, how much more should it be with the Spirit of God? When He is with us and in us. 4, verse 9, if the ministry of condemnation has glory, see, the ministry of condemnation, what, they were condemned by the law. Their own sin was pointed out by the law and it brought condemnation. And yet it was glorious. It's still, the, the law still glorified God. But how much more does the ministry of righteousness abound in glory? I hope you're seeing this, that the righteousness that we have in Christ, the power over sin that we have in Christ should be giving God even more and greater glory than the law ever could. The law speaks of God's character. But we, through Christ, are living light posts of who God is. For indeed, verse 10, what had glory in this case has no glory. What is he talking about? The law. Because of the glory that, it's, that surpasses it. So in light of the glory of the Spirit in us, the glory of Moses and Mount Sinai is in, in great, it's, it's not glorious at all in comparison. The glory of the Spirit in us. Verse 11, for if that which fades away was with glory, much more that remains is in glory. What is that saying? The glory of God in the Spirit never fades away. It's never going to end. Moses, he came down the mountain and and a few days later, eventually his face returned to normal and he could take the veil off. But with Christ and His Spirit in us, that glory continues to shine in His people, in His church, in His kingdom. So back to, to Romans 8. We should see the glory of God in this statement. The fact that the law of Spirit gives life to us. We were... So very dead. We were condemned to die. The sin just had complete power over us. We had no freedom. But the law of the Spirit of life has set us free. How did it do this? So... We see that we're not under condemnation because the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has liberated us. But how do they do this? And that's where we get to verse 3. And I, I made this point on, on verse 3, executed righteousness. For what the law could not do, what was, what was it that it couldn't do? What could the law not do? Set us free. That's what he's saying. The law could not set us free. Why? Because it was weak 
in the flesh. Because in our flesh, we could not keep the law. We were sinful nature, by, by our sinful nature, we could not keep the law. And though the law could not do anything to save us. So we're seeing the contrast of the law versus what God does. The second half, God did. So for what the law could not do, God did. Sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And as an offering for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh. So we see the contrast of what the law could not do and what God did. God did not create the law and, and say, you know what, this is going to work. This is going to set my people free from sin. No. God, God did not change his mind as time went on. He, he didn't put stuff out there like we do sometimes and assume and put on God. God knows everything. God has a perfect plan for the world, for history. And so when we see here that the law could not do it, it's not because God made it to do it. It's because God did never intended for the law to set us free from sin. The law was always to point us to a righteous God. It was never meant to set people free from sin. Because God knew that in our flesh there was no way we could obey the law. There was no way that our obedience would keep us free from sin and death. So God did what He does. What we could not do. God sent His own Son. Not somebody else's. He sent His own Son. His only Son. And, and Apostle Paul uses this, His own Son, similar to the way that John uses His only begotten Son. In John chapter 3, when you see Paul throughout his letters use this expression, he's talking in the same way. So, God sent his only son, his own son, in the likeness of sinful flesh. Why is this necessary? Why was it necessary that Jesus came in the likeness of sinful flesh? Because why couldn't he just come in his glory? Why? Because... We had to be in Christ. Remember Romans chapter 5 when we're talking about the new Adam. That's, that's why Christ had to come as a man. He had to be 100% man while being 100% God because if He could not relate to us, if He could not overcome sin in the flesh, guess what? We can't overcome sin in the flesh. We don't have a, a faithful high priest if Jesus didn't come as a man. As a man who could be tempted. Did he, did he ever sin? No, we know that. Could he have ever sinned? No, I know that's not popular sometimes, but if Jesus could sin, guess what? God could be split in half. And that's not possible. God cannot die. But that doesn't mean that his temptation was not real. It was. It was absolutely real. God, Jesus overcame sin 
as a human being. He never gave in. His delight was in God always, His Father. And so when those temptations came, it wasn't a question of, am I going to give in to the temptation? It's, how am I going to defeat it? Because my Father is my delight. And that's the problem with many of us before we are saved, and even as, as Christians, we delight in the wrong things. We f- it's our delight, our affections, as Jonathan Edwards talks about, it's our affections that draw us to sin. We sin because we want to. And I know that's sometimes, that's why when I sin as a Christian, my heart breaks because I'm like, God, what is it in me that wants to do this? It's the old man. I haven't crucified the flesh. But Christ, His affections were for the Father always. That's why He could never sin. He loved the Father. And that's what we're being called to do, to love the Father with all our heart, mind, strength. Just like we see in the Old Testament. That's what the Jews were being called to do. And that's what all believers are called to do. So He came as a sin, came in the likeness of sinful flesh and He came as an offering for sin. Jesus came to take sin upon Himself on the cross. Our sin was laid upon Him so that the power of sin over us would no longer have sway. So that we could be set free. And, and in, in His coming as a man and His offering for sin, what did He do? It says here He condemned sin in the flesh. What does that mean? God condemned sin in Christ. When Christ was on the cross, the condemnation for our sin was laid on Christ. The punishment, remember I, was, I said that, that the word condemnation can be translated punishment for crime. The punishment for our sin was laid upon Christ. So in condemning sin in the flesh of Christ on the cross, We have hope. That's how the condemnation that's due us is no longer there because that condemnation has already been taken care of. Christ bore it on the cross. So we don't have to live in fear anymore. We don't have to live in condemnation that sin has power over us anymore because that condemnation, that punishment was placed upon Christ so that it could be condemned, taken care of. So if our sin has been taken care of and was condemned in Christ on the cross, that executed righteousness, God executed righteousness through Christ. Christ lived... The word executed can be used two ways, right? One, it leads to death. And one is a lifestyle. Christ lived, executed righteousness throughout His life. And in, on the cross, God's righteousness was 
executed upon Christ. If you think of it that way, I know it's a little (laughs) using the, the word in two ways, but the righteousness of Christ was sufficient and necessary and complete what we needed. It was perfect. Something that none of us could do. The law was unable to do. So why all this? Why was it so important? Yes, we have no condemnation now. But what what was the purpose? Verse 4. And I believe the ver- verse 4 I... I I put under the point assigned righteousness. Assigned righteousness. So our first point is punishment abolished. Second point, lawful liberation, executed righteousness, and assigned righteousness. Which spells plea, if that helps. So who's your plea? What's your plea? Is it Christ Jesus or not? So what's the purpose in assigned righteousness? We'll see that. So that, again, I've said this multiple times, but so that is telling us why the purpose of Christ coming as a sin, as in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin, and the reason why sin was condemned in the flesh, so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. That's a pretty big statement, right? So that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. You would expect to see so that the, the, the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in Him, right? In Christ Jesus. But He's saying in us. So there's, there's, there's two ways of looking at this verse. One is that Christ... In His death, He took our condemnation so that His righteousness would be given to us. Justification, right? Declared righteous by God. But in another way, it also says the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us in the sense that we will walk in righteousness by the Spirit. And I see that here in the second half. It's fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Do you see that? That not only are we declared righteous, but we now are fulfilling the righteous requirement of the law through the power of the Spirit. I'm I'm hoping you're, you're grasping this because that is why Christ came. He didn't come just so that we can say a prayer and then live however we want. No. He came, died on a cross so that we could experience freedom from the power of sin, freedom from our guilt, and live for Him. Not on our own, though. Through the power of the Spirit. And if you don't believe me, let's look at Ezekiel 36. This is probably... One of my favorite verses because it's really what Jesus is talking about in John 3 when he talks about the new birth. I know I've read this multiple times, but verse 25 it says, Then I will sprinkle clean water on you and I will clean clean you 
I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. See verse 27? I believe Paul is talking about the same thing. He's saying the righteous requirement of the law is being fulfilled in us as we walk by the Spirit. Christ has completely fulfilled it. Don't get me wrong. But it's only in the power of the Spirit that we, in this life, walk with God. That we fulfill the requirements of the law in our own lives, in holiness and godliness. And Paul really is going to show us how this works in verse 5 through 13. And we're, we don't, I don't have time to do that today. I wanted to, but I, I felt like it would be rushing through. And I feel like this section of Romans 8 is really important that we understand that our condemnation was on Christ. It was put upon Christ so that we could be free from the power of sin and so that we could walk in holiness, walk in the power of the Spirit. And that brought me to Galatians chapter 5. If you'll turn there with me. (coughs) Remember that the law was powerless. The word there that is translated could not do is powerless can be translated powerless. It was not able to do, but God did in Christ. So if you turn to Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 and following. So Paul is arguing, look, you have got to stop trying to keep the law as a way of salvation. He's specifically talking about circumcision. And he actually gets so... I feel like it's the first time you see Paul really angry at the people who are trying to get people to do this. And he says they should just mutilate themselves instead of telling everyone else to get circumcised. That's not a very nice thing to say, right? (laughs) But Paul is saying this is useless. These men are trying to get you to buy into the lie that you have to earn your salvation, that you have to do something to earn your salvation. But Paul doesn't leave it there. He doesn't say, okay, it's all grace. There's, There's no... Spirit-led life, he goes here. Verse 16, But I say, walk by the Spirit. Sounds very similar, right? And you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. So there's, there's there's no in between here. You're either walking in the Spirit or you're not. And despite what people think, there's no such thing as a carnal Christian. There are Christians and non Christians. There's no in-between. Verse 17, For the flesh sets its desires against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. So when when we're walking in the Spirit, we don't desire the things of the flesh, right? But when we're walking in the flesh, or or in our, our human nature, the old man, when we're letting the old man rule, we haven't crucified the old man, We don't want the things of the Spirit. 
For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But, verse 18, if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Isn't that interesting? We walk by the Spirit, we're being called to holiness and obedience to God, but it's not because we're trying to obey the law, it's because we delight in God. Because we have our affections in God and and God has given us His Spirit which makes us want to follow Him. And then Paul describes, and this is really where I feel like application comes in. We see walking in the Spirit versus walking in the flesh. So what are we doing? Verse 19, Now the deeds of the flesh are evident. Are these deeds true in in our lives? We have to to ask about this. Which are? Immorality. We know what that is, right? Sex outside of marriage, that includes pornography. It, It includes lust. It includes everything that has to do with immorality, impurity, thoughts, things that we say, sensuality. I would say... uh, the Super Bowl halftime show would probably fall under this question. Well, probably all three of these. Idolatry. It's, we don't see, typically in the U.S., people walking around with idols. But we all have them, right? The world, honestly, I think one of the biggest idols that the U.S. faces today is sex. It's supposed to give you all that you've been missing your whole life, right? That'll fix everything. All your problems will be fixed. That that's how you find yourself. That's an idol. Or or sports can be the same thing. I I like sports, but sports can be an idol. Is that all you think about? Do you dream about sports? <laughs> what is your life or maybe it's a Maybe it's decorating your house. Oh, I can't wait to to try out. Uh, oh, what's their name? The Gaines's new uh, design plan or whatever. I don't. I don't dislike their design, but if that's all that controls our life, if that's everything that we care about, if our affections are in those things, guess what? It's an idol. We all have. Little idols, little demigods that we're... We've got a back closet in our hearts that has something hidden away there that we're not willing to give up to follow Christ. So we have to deal with those idols in our lives. Sorcery. I mean, this is super popular today. I mean, look at all the popular magic books and movies. and I mean, you can't... Watch a Disney movie without there being magic in it. I mean, Lady and the Tramp was probably the last movie that Disney made that didn't have any magic in it. Um, But we just look at the world around us and there's so much... It's crazy that people who are anti-religion are embracing all this supernatural that's not of God. Isn't that interesting? They're all science and all this is the answer, reason, and, and, but they reject God 
And they're loving this magic and witchcraft and this horror, all, the, all these kind of things. Enmities, strife, jealousy. I mean, strife and jealousy kind of go together, right? When we're jealous, we call strife. We've all been in or experienced the result of strife and jealousy or been the cause of strife and jealousy. We have to ask ourselves, am I jealous for God or am I jealous for myself? Because these all here are works of the flesh, right? It says, now the deeds of the flesh are evident. They're not deeds of the Spirit. Outbursts of anger? I have to be honest, I had, with children, I need to ask forgiveness a lot. It's hard to believe that someone so little could get you so upset. I'm sure you've never experienced that. So, <laughs> Disputes over anything. Dissensions, factions. These all kind of go together, right? Strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions. They all, you know, I'm going to follow uh, Paul and Apollos and they're, they're all following their guy. So they're going to talk bad about the other one, even though they're all three believers. Paul, like, we're not here to cause division. We're called here to train you and to raise you up and to encourage you. There's, nothing, there's no one better than the other here. Envying. Are we envying what others have? Do I envy uh, Joel because he has a really nice shop with tons of great, cool tools? <laughs> no, I just call him and say, can I rent it? No, can I come and use it? <laughs> What's your shop fee? <laughs> no. But we have to check. Like, Is the way we feel about somebody a response to envy? Are we upset that someone's doing well and we're not? Or it seems like, man, that person's traveling all the time. I never get to travel. I mean, I would love to travel all the time, but God has different plans. So it's easy to fall in these. I, I'm just trying to let us see that these things affect us every day. Drunkenness. Carousing. It's typical those two go together, right? Why do people go to bars? To get drunk and to get women. Or vice versa. They don't go to bars because it's good conversation. Right? I've never heard somebody say, yeah, I'm going to go to the bar tonight. I, I could really use some good, wholesome conversation. No, that's not how it works. I mean, our world has made sex, that's what carousing is, made sex just something you do all the time with anyone, whoever. It's, they've completely taken the fact that it was always intended for marriage away. And when we look at our world, we see families, children who are growing up with one, without one or the other spa, uh, parent, 
And just look at all the things that our world is facing, medically speaking, and, and the heart issues that people are dealing with. Um, just so many problems in our world, and almost all of those go back to rejecting God's order in life. God's picture of marriage. God's picture of what marriage should look like. God's picture of family, what a family actually is. And it all comes down to rejecting God's design in creation. And things like these. So Paul's saying, these are some, but <laughs> there are other things. This isn't everything. This is not an extensive list. Of which I forewarn you. Just as I have forewarned you that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, if that is not a warning, I don't know what is. There are people who believe you can do these things, be continually living in these things, and still make it. Well, I'm a good person. I haven't hurt anybody. You know, I don't, I don't sleep with anybody that doesn't want to sleep with me. It's okay. No. God's Word has to be our standard. God's Word has to be our standard. If we are in envy, we need to repent. If we are realize that we have an idol in our heart, God is opening our eyes to an idol that we have, deal with it. Don't let it go. If we are dealing with immorality, deal with it. Impurity, impure thoughts, let's, let's take care of those because... Those are the deeds of the flesh. So, God is calling us not to do that. If, if you remember in the, at the last part of verse 4, He's saying, we are those who walk according to the Spirit, not according of the flesh. See the difference? So my application, again, is avoid these things because they will condemn you. They are a sign that your condemnation is coming, that you are under condemnation. But here is a sign that you are not. Verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Is it just free love? You just love everyone? And No, that's not what he's saying. He's talking about love as the Bible defined it. Unfortunately, in the church, we need to define love again because... It's been forgotten. We forget that God's love sent judgment. God's love sent His Son. God's love has called us to live holy lives. There's no in-between. We, we can't act like love. Oh, you just need to love those people. I'm, I agree, we need to love them, but it's not what they mean when they say that. Loving someone does not Ignore the fact that if they keep living the way they are, they're going to spend eternity in hell. Hell is not just a momentary thing that eventually you die and everything's over. No, this is eternal damnation because when we are not following God, when we reject the message of Jesus Christ, we are rejecting God's love. Right? And God's love is an infinite love. And that's why the punishment that God gives is infinite. The other fruit of the Spirit, joy. 
Are we experiencing joy in the midst of trying circumstances? Is the Spirit working through us? Are we responding in joy or are we responding in outbursts of anger? You see the contrast? What about peace? Do we have peace even when it seems like everything in our world is falling apart or someone we are working for is going off the deep end and they're trying to take us with them? Is our peace defined by our hope in Christ? If we're under no condemnation, we should be joyful and peaceful because we know they can do whatever they want, but I'm with Him. The Lord has come. He's given me power over sin. I don't have to live that way anymore. I can be joyful. I can have peace. And I will say, I have to, I'm not throwing these out there like, oh, I've, I've achieved. You all know me. I'm not there. We all need to hear this message, myself included, because it's hard to have joy when you have three kids screaming at one time. Just ask my mother, my, my mother and my wife. Um, mothers understand. It's hard to feel peace when there's three kids screaming at one time. And you're not sure which one needs discipline first. Or which one calls the other ones to scream or whatever. What about patience? I mean, we all have to deal with that, especially in the world. It's so hard in the world we live in because there is no such thing as patience. I, I was reading a Facebook post. Somebody was in the drive-thru at Starbucks in Louisville, and the person behind them wasn't happy that they had left about this much space between them and the other car in front of them and was honking multiple times. Eventually, the person got out of their car in the drive-thru at Starbucks and said, this is a drive-thru, not a parking lot. And there was a car in front of them. Can you imagine, like, this person, I don't think, responded well from the way that they... (laughs) But if they pulled up behind you, would you be patient? What if you're in... the Zaxby's drive-thru and somebody did that to you. Would you be patient? What if you, uh, you're in the turn lane and somebody comes around in front of you and gets in front of you? I mean, that never happens on the interstate, right? <laughs> I, we, we all can look to, to moments in our life where we aren't exhibiting fruits of the spirit, right? That we're we're letting the old man off the cross. We haven't crucified kindness. Are we even kind to our enemies? Those who want to run our name into the ground or take everything that they can? From us, goodness. Those kind of go together, right? With patience, kindness, goodness. These are all fruits of the Spirit, which Christ exhibited always. 
in his life. Christ was always exhibiting these fruits. Christ never was impatient. He was always kind. Now you say, well, but what about the time when he flipped the tables in the temple? That wasn't impatience. That was love of his Father. Christ was always acting in the fruit or in the Spirit. Faithfulness. This is something that is not taught on much, right? Especially in the, in the picture of a church, a marriage. Faithfulness is to your word, to do what you say you will do. Often we throw these words, oh, oh I know the fruits of the Spirit. Do we live them? Knowing is not enough. Just because you can quote the fruits of the Spirit does not mean that you're faithful or that you're good or kind or you're loving. You have joy and peace and patience. Are we faithful to God first? If we're not faithful to God first, then we can't be faithful to others. Gentleness. I know it sounds crazy. It's easier for me to be gentle with an adult than with a three-year-old telling me what they're not going to do. I don't. Maybe I, I'm the only person that's ever had that problem. No. Okay. Good. Now I can just keep uh, being. Uh, uh, what's the word here? I can keep uh, causing strife and dissension with my... No. (laughs) No, but we all have to think back to gentleness. It's not always easy. The fruits of the Spirit are impossible without the Spirit. You may be able to to have a a tinting of uh, that fruit, but we won't live in the fruits of the Spirit if we don't have the Spirit in us, with us. Self-control. I mean, when I go to Dunkin' Donuts, it's hard to have self-control. <laughs> or, or maybe that uh, Brazilian um, barbecue place in Louisville. Probably hard to have self-control. Uh, I know I'm speaking to the men. Women would never have a problem at the Brazilian uh, barbecue place. Maybe uh, I'm trying to think of... A, a good bakery in town. Maybe if you went to Nord's Bakery in Louisville, uh, you might have a problem. But, you know, self-control is all all throughout life. When we don't have self-control, we don't have patience. When we don't have self-control, all of these fruits are tied together because without self-control, we're angry. We're impure. We're, We're not taking our thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ. We're letting our eyes wander, letting lust control us. But we have to be in self-control, which is through the power of the Spirit. What does it say? Against such things there is no law. What is Paul saying? You're never going to find a law that says, don't do these things. Have you ever found a law that says don't love anyone? 
don't love, don't have joy. Okay, we, we don't permit peace in this town. We want strife and dissension and friction. Now, verse 24, Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Have we crucified the flesh this morning? I know, I know I said this was a joyful message. It is. Because we're not under condemnation if we're in Christ Jesus, and we can live a crucified life. It doesn't sound fun. When, does, when do things that we need to do sound fun? Not all the time. Occasionally, I need to take a vacation. That sounds fun. <laughs> That's a want. But maybe you could say it is a need. God has made us to rest. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Where are our affections? Where are they leading us? Are they powered by the Spirit? Are they powered by the man who has been taken off the cross, the old man that hasn't been crucified. But verse 25 says, If we live by the Spirit, let us walk by the Spirit. We can't separate the two. We can't say, I'm living by the Spirit and walk by the flesh. They're in opposition, remember? Paul said that. So if we're going to walk Live by the Spirit. We have to walk by the Spirit. You'll turn back to Romans 8. So the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. You're saying, well, it's great. I need the Spirit or... or Whatever it may be, I, I just don't know how. I've been a Christian for a long time, and I, I don't understand how how it is that I, I still give in to sin. Cry out to God, cry out to Him, Lord. I, I need freedom. I, I need to experience Your Spirit's move in my life. If you haven't been filled with the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I would, I would commend you to cry out to the Lord, fill me with your Spirit. And for us as believers who who have experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we can cry out for more. You see in the book of Acts, multiple times the apostles and the church asked the Lord and the Lord filled them afresh with His Spirit. So there's nothing wrong with saying, Lord, I've got a lot of you, but I need a lot more. I need your spirit. Our church needs the Lord's spirit to be here because if he isn't, what is it that the spirit gives? Life. If he's not here, we need to shut the doors and leave and never come back. Because if the spirit is not moving in us, in this church, we're dead. We might as well be one of the the great cathedrals of Europe that have no one coming in. They're becoming museums. No one goes because churches are dead. God's Spirit has left. 
I was just thinking as we end about the man on the cross. Remember, he, he was condemned to die for sin. Setting beside Christ. One, one rejected Christ and was mocking Christ, but this man saw his sin. He saw his wickedness. And what did he say? He is the Messiah. And what did Jesus say to him? Today, you'll be with me in eternity. Though he was condemned to die for his sin, Christ's sacrifice extended to that man. We're that man today. Whether you're born again or not, the condemnation due us was placed on Christ so that our wickedness, which deserved death, was placed on Him. So that we could be set free from the power of sin and live in the power of the Spirit. We don't have to to live as we used to. We are no longer under condemnation. I want us to end with Ephesians chapter 2. Because it's easy for us to, and I hope that I've made this point, it's easy for us to say, yeah, okay, I'm going to do better. But we can't do it. It has to be Christ in us. That's why I believe Apostle Paul says twice, in Christ Jesus, through the power of the Spirit, walking in the Spirit. And to end that, we see in verse 2 of Ephesians, or chapter 2, verse 10, well, I'll start with 8. For, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. Not as a result of works. Why? So that no one may boast. So we can't walk around acting like we're something because God has saved us. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what? Bad, bad works? Is that the word? What do you have? Maybe, maybe my translation. Oh, okay. It's good works. I just misread it then. Which God prepared beforehand so that we... Who's he talking about? The Ephesian church, him, believers everywhere. We should walk in them. Doing good works is in the power of Christ. And it's God's plan for all believers. Because we're no longer under condemnation, our affections should be to do what pleases our Father. And we're going to get to adoption in the, not next week, but the week after in Romans. Because we have been adopted into the family of God. We are sharing, will share in the inheritance of Christ. But the Father has given us all that we need. Our lives should be spirit-filled desire to please God because we're pleased in Him. Our, our affections are upon Him. Our delight and our desire is in Him. I pray that you're encouraged this morning by the fact that you're not under condemnation anymore and that you can live a life pleasing to God, not in your own strength, but in the power of His Spirit which is in you, we can experience the fruits of the Spirit.
Let us pray and we'll, we'll end. Father, we just thank you that you did what the law was powerless to do. You sent your Son to set us free from sin's rule and reign in our lives. We are no longer under its power. Lord, we have been set free. You have condemned sin. You put on Christ what we deserved so that we could experience the fullness of your Spirit in our lives. Experience the requirement of the law being fulfilled in us through Christ's work on the cross and through His Spirit living in us. Lord, help us to love you with all our hearts, soul, mind, and strength. Let nothing in us remain that is not for you. Lord, work on our affections that we would love you. If there's someone hearing this message today who is not a believer, I just ask that you would expose that to them, that they could be set free from sin, that they would experience the joy and peace that comes from knowing you as their Lord, knowing that the condemnation that was due them is on Christ, that they are hearing your Spirit call, Come, I have made a way. We thank you, Lord. Pray that you would be with us today, be with us this week. That your spirit would guide us and show us, Lord, how to apply what we've heard this week each and every day. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.